Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Negotiation, part two of our conversation with Patrick Deloy, Managing Director at Merkel, an award-winning e-commerce solutions provider which supports medium to large B2C and B2B companies with the planning, development, localization, and long-term support of multi-country e-commerce website deployments in the APAC region. We continue our conversation with Patrick discussing the merging of omnichannel retail consumers in Asia and the metaverse, the prominent commerce trends he's seeing post-COVID, how curbside pickup became popular, the concept of total commerce, the partner ecosystem, and why it's critical to have one entering the APAC market, Patrick's thoughts on how to win through superior customer experience, and how the future of offline retail is very much alive and well, just different. Enjoy. Things like lining up at a point of sale at some point will disappear, right? Because I think everyone can agree this is not a great experience. There's literally nothing valuable you can do while waiting at a point of sale. These things will go away. And, and you know, I think even something you called out earlier, AR, VR, mixed reality, these concepts will come more to the forefront and they will be driven also by mobile technology, by the Internet of Things, etc. So all of this does take a little bit of time. It's important to go from this, you know, hype phase where everyone talks about it, but there are no real use cases into there actually being real use cases. Pricing, uh, you know, works as well within that whole model and uh, the user acceptance follows. Home to over 4 billion people, the Asia-Pacific region boasts one of the most powerful consumer markets on the planet. Not only is it home to half of the world's under 30 population, but it's also home to more than half the world's internet users. It's a market that no globally-minded organization should ignore. But entering markets like China, Japan, or Southeast Asia is no easy task. Just ask the likes of Microsoft, Google, Uber, and Facebook. However, times are changing, and with the right partners, doors are slowly opening as more and more companies find success growing their key markets in APAC. I myself spent eight years in China, mostly as a venture capitalist, helping early-stage tech companies grow in the Asia-Pacific market successfully. This show is dedicated to uncovering and examining successful Asia market entry and growth strategies by interviewing the experts who've done it before and truly understand what it takes to be successful in the region. My name is Todd Embley, and welcome to The Negotiation. Brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technologies. I want to ask you something, and it's 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 outside of something that we've talked about. We've never brought together omnichannel retail, consumers in Asia, e-commerce when it comes to metaverse. So your opinion on perhaps the statement of omnichannel retail, consumers in Asia, and the metaverse as being an important concept to start to look at at how those are going to merge together, one that more brands will need to embrace and start to build strategies around. I, I think what we all agree on is probably that, you know, at this moment, um, we're moving from the first, you know, hype phase of the metaverse where, you know, um, uh, you know, especially when Mark Zuckerberg was talking about it and, you know, uh, suddenly a lot of people, you know, um, had interest in, in the metaverse, even though they did not know what it really was. Um, we're now seeing this, you know, slow shift, uh, um, you know, into concepts that start to make a little bit uh, more sense, right? So initially hyped concepts like, you know, everything around metaverse, uh, uh, crypto blockchain or so, right? Bought a, uh, bought a uh, yacht club or, you know, custom and crypto coins, etc. They've lost a lot of their allure, right? But um, and and also initial metaverses, right? Like uh, the Sandbox, uh, Decentraland, and others, right? I mean, they created a lot of buzz. Um, they sold. Uh, um, 
uh, limited territory, virtual territory as well, like land. Um, uh, but they always had very few regular users, right? I mean, some some bigger stars uh, had some some concerts in that environment, but uh, it was always fairly limited. Um, so that's that, right? But then again, you know, um, and that I think also relates to something I, I spoke about earlier, you know, a lot of the consumers being fairly young and, and uh, you know, digital adoption being so high, right? I mean, Asian consumers have always embraced new technologies and, you know, where very often, you know, if you think, uh, you know, even 20, 30 years ago, you know, Japanese, right? And, and uh, Korean nowadays, like, uh, you know, they've always embraced new technologies, um, uh, and well, you know, often some of the first ones to do so, right? And as an example, I think it's also interesting. South Korea, um, I read that recently, you know, has uh, one of the largest markets for cryptocurrencies, right? Which uh, South Korea itself is is not, you know, a huge uh, country, um, but it's one of the largest, you know, crypto markets. So it just shows the enthusiasm as well, um, you know, for for you know new things, um, and uh, you know, even the recent devaluation of of crypto assets has not dented the excitement, for example, for, you know, blockchain-based uh, currencies in the market. So, so you know, just in my opinion, I think, uh, you know, any new viable concepts of the metaverse and, you know, as it's improving, um, you know, as it becomes actually more interesting, it gets away from, you know, just a concept that it is uh, right now with, you know, few, you know, actual real world applications. Um, I think, uh, you know, the, the Asian consumers will be the first really to, um, to accept that as well, right? And, and, uh, and, and uh, make it part of their, you know, online shopping habit, uh, for example. That'll be the day when my mom goes Christmas shopping uh, in the metaverse and, and gets me an NFT in my stocking uh, virtually. That That's going to be a super fun day. Just kidding. As we look ahead, I know it's the elephant of the room, COVID, okay? And and it's it's been an unfortunate part of this podcast far too much over the last two years. We don't have to spend a lot of time on this. I'm going to ask you something about COVID and the and, and the impact of COVID. We don't have to spend all day on this, but I just want to draw it out. Look at the big regions, the big markets. How has COVID uh, impacted omnichannel retail? Maybe tease out how some countries have dealt with it differently, if so. Yeah, I, I think the the response, obviously, to the emergence of COVID um, uh, in countries across APAC um, uh has been very varied, right? Uh, like, uh, obviously, we know China, you know, Hong Kong to a certain degree still impose uh, some sort of uh, lockdown. Taiwan as well at this uh, point. Um, other countries have uh, completely opened up, uh, have done away with all restrictions. I think uh, the most prominent trend that we saw immediately after COVID emerged, um, and again, I'm sure you've talked about this also in previous episodes uh, of this podcast, is uh, this just sudden increase of online orders versus offline purchases, right? And some of this uh, was just a function of, you know, some countries, uh, uh, you know, going into a lockdown or, you know, restricting access to, to, to stores, right? Um, so that has given a really strong growth spur to, to, to online retail. Now, this has reversed a, a bit, right? Um, and we're back now on to, you know, a pre-COVID growth rate, if, if you want, which is still impressive, uh, you know, in, in most uh, countries. But I, I think what's notable, though, still is, uh, you know, that it has uh, helped to increase 
the acceptance really of online shopping, especially in markets that were, you know, laggards before, right? I mentioned Hong Kong previously, right? Uh, where it was always assumed it's not a good market for, for e-commerce because everything is so nearby, right? And, and, and also with, you know, fairly significant uh, population of, uh, you know, seniors, uh, you know, they were just not used to using uh, online channels, right? And this, for example, has changed quite uh, quite dramatically, right? Uh, suddenly, you know, a lot of seniors as well were dependent on ordering, you know, maybe groceries and, and other products uh, online. And suddenly they get to know, uh, you know, how to set up uh, online payment, for example, right? How to send an order and, uh, you know, how to not be worried that, uh, you know, you're uh, paying some money there and, and you don't get anything in, in return, right? So creating some trust as well into these uh, channels. But um so that's that's kind of a broad observation, right? But I think if you look into you know some of the features as well, what has uh, what that has meant for you know some specific markets or regions, um, I think one interesting example, just to pick out an example, is um, you know something that uh, came up as a as a concept as well during the early days of COVID in in some markets uh, was uh, curbside pickup, right? Um, in uh, Australia, New Zealand, uh, for example, um, it has become very popular, right? Where um, a consumer can order a product online uh, uh, and basically just drive to the curbside or into the parking lot and then the store system will bring out the product and maybe put it in the trunk directly, right? So again, minimizing uh, the uh, the interactions. Um, and uh, and the contacts exactly and and uh, and and you know this is a concept that has worked you know quite well in in Australia and it continues to work well in, in markets like Australia where a lot of people use cars. Of course, it wouldn't work at all in in markets like Hong Kong or Singapore, right? Because uh, you usually you know you can never park curbside or or there are very few parking lots, right? Um, uh, so so again, you know, uh, every country has dealt with that uh, a little bit uh, differently. But I think uh, as a broad comment, I mean, it certainly, you know, has helped as well with the acceptance of uh, online commerce uh, channels, you know, creating more trust uh, as well, especially with, you know, a senior population in all markets, really, in, in APAC, especially the, the laggards. Okay, so crystal ball time. Uh, in your opinion, I know it's unfair, but do your best. You know, the future of omnichannel retail and, and e-commerce in Asia, where do you think the space is headed? Well, first of all, there's, there's still plenty of room to grow in omnichannel retail um, in Asia. I think that much we all uh, agree on right because even though the the total share of uh, you know i mentioned china before right where where online retail versus offline is you know has already crossed the the 50% mark uh, across the whole of asia you know that percentage is actually only 20%. It's still impressive, but a lot of these 20%, um, you know, is driven by by China, right? Um, so, um, so that percentage is, you know, still significantly lower across, you know, some of the the high growth markets uh, in Southeast Asia, for example, right now. Um, uh, um, so, and and they're much less separated, obviously, from that perspective. So, uh, so this is where we see a lot of um, a lot of growth, right? Um, 
just in terms of you know the number pure number of users right because there's still a big pool of of uh, you know consumers that have not you know uh, done a lot of you know online commerce transactions uh, yet you know have not ordered a lot on on d2c um, channels um, online so uh, this is just a pure numbers game but I think the other thing uh, you know especially in in markets that are maybe a little bit more advanced a little bit more saturated to a certain degree we definitely will see um, you know an increased focus as well on really great user experience um, you know also in order to increase you know customer loyalty to address um, uh, you know uh, younger uh, uh, younger consumers um, and uh, you know and that also relates to something I've mentioned I've talked uh, uh, about before you know this concept of uh, always shopping we call it total commerce really uh, you know where brands really need to create a seamless experience uh, you know across both online channels and then integrated with offline channels right because offline commerce will continue to have its place right uh, it will be places of more places of experience but again the lines will blur more and more and consumers will more and more expect that whatever they do offline is reflected online whatever they do online is recognized offline um, and you know just things like lining up at a point of sale at some point will disappear right because I think everyone can agree this is not a great experience right I mean uh, there's literally nothing valuable you can do while waiting at a point of sale right um, uh, so you know these things will go away and and you know I think even something you called out earlier you know um, AR VR you know mixed reality um, you know, I, I think these will, you know, these concepts will come more to the forefront and they will be driven also by mobile technology, by the Internet of Things, etc. So all of this, you know, does take a little bit of time. Um, but, uh, you know, again, it's important to go from this, you know, hype phase where everyone talks about it, but there are no real use cases into, you know, there actually being real use cases, you know, um, uh, uh, the pricing, uh, you know, works as well within that whole model and uh, the user acceptance follows. I want to talk about building partnerships because this is also something that you have done a tremendous amount of work in and the importance of building the right partnership and maintaining partnerships and relationships in Asia. So as someone who works with a ton of brands in the region, maybe you could talk a little bit about it from your experience building partnerships, either on behalf of your business or your client's business. Well, given that the ecosystem is is really fractured across APAC. It's not a single market. Uh, these are very different markets. Um, the partner ecosystem is 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 really critical, um, absolutely, for for any kind of merchant for brands. Um, to uh, to operate well in in all of these markets right and uh, the good thing though you know if i say um you know the market uh, is very fractured the ecosystem is very fractured um there's still some regions which can be grouped um to a certain degree um uh, especially in terms of you know the typical partnerships uh, that you know an merchant would need to have in in these markets and uh, you know these these uh, um, you know, regions tend to be, um, you know, from north to south, um, 
Japan, sometimes together with Korea, we see, you know, quite a few brands that kind of group Japan and Korea uh, together uh, a little bit. Um, uh, you know, mainland China, obviously, which is it's just its own ecosystem because it's just so big. Um, you know, sometimes now Hong Kong, you know, goes into that fold as well and more and more so, I guess, in, in, uh, in the future. Uh, Taiwan is a little bit separate. Uh, uh, you know, sometimes that's also grouped together with, uh, you know, maybe Korea, Japan or, or Southeast Asia. But then definitely Singapore and Southeast Asia, you know, that's kind of one cluster. Um, and, uh, you know, and then Australia and New Zealand. Um, so, you know, because some of the most important partnerships, um, you know, for example, start with um fulfillment partners, right? And that's why I was mentioning as well, you know, the kind of regional approach, because if you look at Southeast Asia, for example, a lot of the commerce there, omni-channel commerce, is conducted uh, across borders, right? Um, and if you need, you know, you know, for example, special storage facilities, et cetera, right, then... Um, that would typically mean you have some centralized inventory, you know, maybe just in some markets, and then you deliver in, in into some other markets, right? I mean, this, these are business decisions, right? Depending on um, the viability of of uh, shipping uh, cross border. Um, but then the other, you know, uh, component of uh, these. Um, uh, uh, or other partnerships that are very uh, important are just with the big, you know, players as well. The uh, in 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 the respective ecosystems, uh, you know, and uh, you know these are some of the most uh, familiar names um, because they're just so prominent in each market, right? So Alibaba and Tencent, you know, ByteDance, Xiaohongshu, and others in in China, for example, uh, and and some of the other players in in the market, right? Because at the end, when we talk about omni-channel, it's really a multi-channel approach. Right, it's it's not uh, uh, you know uh, one brand just selling through a single channel, whether it's you know uh, um, uh, offline retail or their D two C side. But typically, you know, it's it's an it's a combination of uh, you know the D two C channel of uh, the marketplace um, of um, you know uh, offline retail and uh, you know mobile app and and other channels. Right, um, so. So these partnerships really need to focus on and uh, reflect this omnichannel approach. What if I were to ask about uh, maybe more on the business units? It's the, the best term I can think of to to, to use. So if, if if I'm a business um, that uh, I'm a scaling business, I want to enter APAC. What types of businesses do I need to be thinking about partnering with? And I, you know, I'll throw you a little bit to, to get you on the same page as I am like agencies, data providers, tech, VC warehouse, you know, like what are the types of businesses that I need to be considering? You've already called out agencies, and I'm, you know, saying that, of course, you know, uh, being fully conscious that I'm <laughs> also well, yeah, I mean, an agency. You don't go somewhere yeah. like Asia on your own. We have yeah, exactly. absolutely exactly. established that. We've had dozens of guests <laughs> trump that, you know, that same theme of like, do not do it by yourself, please. Yeah. No, and that, I mean, honestly, of course, this is our whole reason of existence as well, right? I mean, you need, I mean, any, uh, you know, uh, any merchant, any brand, you know, um, any company that's looking to, um, you know, roll out, uh, you know, their omni-channel operations, you know, D2C side, whatever, in uh, any market in APAC, they need to work with uh, someone, you know, an agency or building an internal team or, you know, a mix of both, uh, who knows, you know, 
local consumer expectations who knows you know the legal regulations the the the, the technical requirements um uh, you know and then of course the local ecosystem partners right some of which i've uh, just mentioned uh, uh, previously right um so this is just critically important right if it comes to other components like you know where to host your data as well, right? Especially, you know, sensitive PII data or so, right? I mean, there are a lot of regulations as well in the different markets. Again, China most prominently, right? Where it says so you have to host the data locally, right? Uh, you're not allowed to host it anywhere else and they need an ICP license and, and all of that. These are all critical components. Is it getting easier? I mean, you know, like I, I could only imagine 15 years ago, you and I were both that 2006, 2007 class of uh, folks that went to, to APAC. Are international brands finally starting to agree that they need to listen to you? They need to trust you. They need to follow your direction. Well, it, I, I think it does. Um, also because, um, you know, Asian markets have become so important uh, for most international brands that they know you know, they can't screw it up, right? They they have to get it right. Um, and, you know, sometimes they only have, you know, one shot um, to, to really get it right. Um, uh, so, you know, this creates an even, you know, stronger impetus to really work with uh, the right partner. So let's talk about Merkel. Tell us, what does Merkel do? And what do you do for your clients and customers? And then on the back of that, go with that one first. Come back after that and talk to us about what customer experience really means to you and why brands really need to focus on that. Well, for us, customer experience um, is everything, really. The way we look at it, really, only a superior customer experience will make consumers real and loyal advocates uh, for brands. Um, so only, you know, superior customer experience can help brands as well to outgrow their competition. We've seen it, you know, so many times with, uh, you know, companies that have, you know, some companies that have propelled themselves from obscurity to standout growth. Um, and the main factor of this was really superior customer experience. Um, so the question then becomes, you know, how can we enable a, a superior customer experience? And this is really at the core of what we do at, at, at Merkel. Um, so we separate this into three broad areas. Um, customer experience strategy, which is where we define basically the overall transformation strategy. We set the North Star. We create the roadmap, right? Because, again, it's not a short-term play, right? Everything has to have a you know, longer-term purpose as well, also to make sure you don't end up in a cul-de-sac, right? And, and uh, you, basically, you have to turn around and redo everything. Uh, and that coupled with data transformation, which is, uh, you know, the part where we look at, you know, the most productive use of data, uh, you know, and use data as an enabler, really, um, you know, customer data, analytics data, business data, etc. Use that as an enabler for digital transformation, which is then basically putting all of this into practice through the use of technology, right? And whether that's commerce platforms or, you know, CM, CDP, or, uh, uh, you know, other business systems, backend systems, et cetera, right? That th this is where it all comes together, basically, in terms of the, the systems and processes. Last question for you. The future of offline retail. Should we be selling all our shares and stocks in, uh, you know, commercial buildings and uh, shopping mall companies? Are we going to be okay? Well, I'm not going to comment on the state of the stock market right now. Well, not the, well, we I guess some of them are publicly listed <laughs> companies. Yeah, for sure. 
but don't sell yeah don't sell your stakes uh holdings uh yet but i you know because i, I you know something i've mentioned before offline retail i think you know every again there was this you know uh almost you know uh, uh you know common uh theme you know two three four years ago that offline retail will go away it will not right it will persist i i think that much is clear but but again you know something i've mentioned before is really that you know um it will persist if it offers the right value right and the value for offline retail now is experience uh, getting people out to experience something so and and not the shopping itself right because if i think about uh, some product i need groceries i need uh, in in many cases it's just easier for me nowadays to make that purchase online right so the experience is really what gets me out you know maybe together with uh, gets me together with friends uh, you know to uh, to go out to to go to malls etc right um and uh, and this is what we see all around, right? Most that that create their own experience, that use you know a common space for experiences, and and that's great, right? Because uh, I mean that's that's good for the for the consumers, and and you know everything you know that we consider for a great online experience, uh, you know, also applies to uh, you know a retail environment, an offline retail environment. You know, like uh, as 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 a brand, I want to entertain my customer, I want to offer you know the right products at the right time, obviously. You know, I want them to talk positively about their experience with my brand, and I want to make the buying process also as easy as possible, right? Um, so again, this is also where traditional retail has to adapt, right? Uh, to not make people wait at at point of sales, or uh, you know, not have, you know, if you go into a store and and you really like a product and that product is not available, right? You shouldn't be as a store assistant be in a position to say. Sorry, we don't have it. I'm not sure, you know, when we get it back, you know, come back maybe a week later because that consumer will not come back, right? The ideal scenario is here that the in-store assistant has the right in-store technology uh, technology to, for example, make an order on behalf of their customer who's standing right there, right? And and just, uh, you know, do a, you know, um, a, a credit card transaction right on the, on the spot, right? Because then for the consumer, great, the product will be delivered maybe same day or tomorrow, you know, from another store or, or central inventory it's already paid for it will be delivered to home um, you know no hassle uh, that's exactly what consumers expect from offline retail yeah i i completely agree with the experience uh you know i think even if they put disneyland uh in in some sort of virtual world it probably wouldn't be the same experience uh so i'd prefer to do it offline but you know this is where interestingly enough live commerce in in asia is so fascinating because somebody it's not like you're seeing a 2D image or even maybe a 3D, you could turn it around or something, but somebody's holding it, somebody's talking about it, they're feeling it, they're describing it, everything about the texture or the color or the weight or what have you. It does add a lot of extra elements to the experience. And, and until the day when we can we can jump on and talk to another human being who just happens to have all of the inventory of the store at their disposal where they can just reach and grab and show and discuss and and answer all of your questions and and be able to talk to a real person i i think offline retail is definitely going to serve a purpose i just don't know if we're going to be able to call it retail specifically as we kind of have this connotation of purchase attached to that word and if we ever have a tactile VR experience, right, that will change things. <laughs> because yes. Then we can actually see and feel products, you know, without going out. 
we're a long way from uh, away from that, but uh, we are actually at the end of the show. So uh, Patrick Deloy, Managing Director of Merkle, thank you very, very much for coming on the show today. Thank you. All right. For everybody who's watching us on our YouTube channel, don't forget that we do have audio only. Uh, you can listen to the podcast on all the major podcasting platforms, including uh, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, everything uh, is available on there. And if you're listening to us on the podcast audio only, don't forget we do have the YouTube channel. You can come and catch me and, and my conversation with Patrick on there. So thanks very much, everybody, for listening and or watching, and we'll see you next time. Growing a company is hard. Doing it in a foreign market? Exponentially so. The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking at the Asia-Pacific region for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands, just like yours, enter China, Japan, and Southeast Asia. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Negotiation, and if you're interested in being a guest or want to connect with me or any of our team, please reach out to us at podcast at WPIC.co, and be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.